We're in a uh, four-part sermon series called The Journey. These things I remember, and I have selected different uh, events in my life, in this church, and in my life. Last week, we spoke on the gospel awakening that brought us to this church and to preach the gospel of justification by faith. And so today I want to speak on the call of God, the call of God. And uh, we'll read in Isaiah chapter 6. Let's pick that up. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And the one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have, been, have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, Go and say to this people. And the message is very judgmental because they had turned to idols. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away going into Babylon or Assyria. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a tabernacle or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. A very, very strong message of judgment. And yet it offers out that the hope of the stump, which I think is Messiah, who will spring up. He touches on this in chapter 11. 
springs on it again right through the book, the Messiah, the call of God. It's an interesting verse when you hear the call to salvation where Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. I just was reading Luke this week and the disciples asked him, will many or few be saved? And Christ was quick to say, few will be saved for narrow is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life eternal. Few. He never said all will be saved. Never did. Didn't say multitudes would be saved, although now 2,000 years removed, multitudes have been saved. And then you come to uh, move from the matter of call to salvation, take to it the call to service. Many are called, but few respond with a yes. Maybe that's what I would say. Many are called, but few respond yes. I mean, you've been given spiritual gifts. You've been given uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's plenty to be done. Why would we ever beg for workers, Sunday school, musicians, I, no matter, no matter, missions, uh, teaching, counseling, whatever, the work of God. And so sometimes you look at God's household and some groups seem to tolerate or they categorize this as the unsaved, the saved, okay? And, and the idea is basically all the saved function the same. All the saved uh, seem to act the same. No, they don't. And we get this when Paul writes to the Corinthians, and you are acting like babies, though you should be mature, for you are carnal. You've been given in, given into a sin principle. You've been giving in to fleshly conduct, bickering, uh, picking leaders, favoritism, all of that internal, what we call church conflict. That doesn't come from the spirit. That comes from the flesh. The flesh loves to fight. It loves to have conflict. And so all Christians are not in the same category. Some serve, some don't. Some uh, sing, some criticize. Uh, some are happy about it, some are miserable. They're not operating on the same wavelength. Something's going on. There's some disobedience or there's some obedience. So what's the difference? Are all believers spirit-filled? Well, at least you gave your answer. You don't know. Just be around them a little while. You'll find out. Read Galatians 5 while they're acting it out. You'll know whether they're in the spirit, whether they're acting fleshly, envy, jealousy, uh, rife, and all this bad stuff. But we come to this narrative here that a man dies by the name of Uriah. Uh, Uzziah, rather. 749 B.C. Uh, if you read the first five chapters of Isaiah, the nation is facing judgment. It's chaotic. Uh, they've turned to idols. 
They're, they're sleeping with other gods in the woods all over Jerusalem. Uh, they've given up on the God of Abraham. Uh, they've made alliances with Egypt that if we get in trouble, Egypt will deliver us. And the nation has just gone wild for other gods. And they fired the true and living God. And in the midst of all this chaos, God reveals himself to a man named Isaiah. He goes to the temple. And while he's there, he sees this incredible revelation of God. Four things I want to point out to you. The revelation of God to his servant is number one. Two, his response to this revelation. Three, God's response to him. And finally, God's request. God's request of this prophet. First of all, the revelation of God. Just think of it. He goes in there. Uh, Uzziah had been king 52 years in Judah. The longest reigning monarch they'd ever had. Everything he touched turned to gold. If they went to battle, they won. It, it, this, no matter what project, and the passage says in Second Chronicles 26 that he had success until his heart became proud. Church historians have said that the church does better under adversity than it does with prosperity. And uh, some people said, it's almost as though God's got to keep all of his children broke in order to get them to pay attention. You ever wonder why you have so many trials? Might be God's getting your attention. But that's a pitiful statement on our heart. Adversity has done a lot more to develop people of faith and stories than prosperity. We all want to be prosperous, and what would you do with it if you had it? Uh, would you use it right? Would, what would you do with it? But prosperity ruined Uzziah. He, he, one day he enters into the office of and God strikes him with leprosy. They put him in isolation for the rest of his life. He's removed from the throne and here Isaiah is looking up and he said, I'm aware that the temporal has been removed. Uzziah has been removed by leprosy. He's disqualified himself. Surely everything is going to go to pot. But he said, I see another throne that's never vacated. I see another throne that hasn't been moved. Matter of fact, when I look at that throne, it's high, it's lifted up, and the king is sitting on it, and his train, it'd be like in this building, uh, almost think of it as a wedding garment or a king's regal robes would be so massive there'd be no space in the room for anything but the king. No human audience. Places taken up with his train. And I looked up and then I saw these angelic beings called seraphim. Some were covering their face maybe out of reverence. Some were covering their feet that I can't do any activity that God doesn't ordain. The others just flying midair. I'm at your service. And then all of a sudden they bust out singing in Hebrew, of course, 
Kadesh, Kadesh, Kadesh. Holy, holy, holy is the king on the throne, which means holy is a hard word to give you a precise meaning. It means set apart, distinct, uh, separate from evil, uh, in a class, all of his own. I'm seeing a monarch here that's like none other I've ever seen on earthly thrones. Uh, guess what? Trump isn't going to last. And neither are the Democrats, and neither is Putin, and neither are any of the kingdoms of this world. They're all going to be emptied eventually. So I wouldn't put my hope in them. Some of you become experts on politics, and you still haven't seen God. I think of the 60s. My, what a tumultuous time. I was talking to a young man who did the days, 27 years old, born around 1990 in there, and we were talking a little bit about the 60s. He said, man, I've never heard of this stuff. I said, wake up, boy. <laughs> he said, well, I don't know anything. And he was African-American. He didn't know anything about Martin Luther King. He didn't know anything about segregation and voting rights and the marches in Selma and Birmingham. I said, where have you been all your life? We're talking about your people. You know, I, I'm too busy living in the hood. I said, well, if you'd get off weed long enough, you'd find out what happened. That wasn't that mean. I'm just thinking of it now. <laughs> just sounds good. So I remember the 60s. This place was going up in smoke. I remember being downtown Richmond when they burned down Travellini. I remember I was fearing that night being on the McDonald's. They were going to pull my wife and I out of the car, beat us up, because either Martin had been killed, either Robert Kennedy had been killed, or John had been killed, all three leaders in my 60s. We thought, this is it. Vietnam is going on. McNamara's lying to the country. Westmoreland's lying about the stats. Boys are saying, we aren't coming back in a body bag. When I first went into the hall, I had a bunch of the youth that came there and said, if you had an American flag, we wouldn't attend. These were American citizens. So we're moving to Canada. We're not fighting a war for McNamara. You call them pure rebels. You know what they'd say? You got it right. Earthly monarchs, and all of a sudden, a guy named Hal Lindsey writes a book on the second coming of Christ, and thousands of young people are saved, even in California. Can you believe it? Thousands of them meeting in a tent down on the beaches of Costa Mesa. And they're still saved, and they're still meeting in Calvary chapels all over this country. What a move of God in desperate times. And so here, here, this man says, I see earthly dynasties can end, but the throne up there will always be occupied. Let me tell you, I don't care how bad it gets, God will stay on his throne, God will run the universe, and God will have his way ultimately because he's the king eternal, the king eternal. He doesn't need an election to get in. He's impermanent. Then these seraphim, they're singing, holy, holy, holy. This God is set apart. This God's set apart. 
He's special. And besides that, I think it's interesting. He's moving the creation around him that the prophet sees. He said, the thresholds of the temple are shaking. Smoke is filling the place, which is most likely the Shekinah cloud, the, the visible presence of God. It's filling the place. And he said, I can imagine, I just came here to worship. I didn't know I'd see the throne. I didn't know the place would be shaken like an earthquake. I didn't know the divine presence. He said, this is what I saw in the midst of Israel and Judah's calamity. We're headed to Babylon. We're going into captivity. All is lost. And he said, then... When they started singing, I thought, my lips don't know any of these songs. My lips don't sing holy, holy. His response was, my lips are unclean. Listen to what his response is. He, uh, he said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What are you saying, Isaiah? Well, he first of all says, when he said, I am lost, some translations, I believe the NIV says, I am ruined. I am, when, no King James Bible, we used to say, woe, low, go. Woe is me. Lo, this has touched your lips. Who will go for me? Easy to remember. Woe, low, go. But what he's saying is, I'm ruined. And the Hebrew word for ruined is the word silence. Silence. It's an unusual word. It meant silent. But it was always identified with the silence of death. And so he said, I'm about to be silenced. I'm about to die. For I've seen God as an unclean, dirty man. The, the defiled has come in contact with the holy. I'm, it's curtains for me. It, the two can't mix. It's impossible for the two to mix. I'm ruined. It's over. I came to worship, and now I've been sentenced to death. That was his response to what he saw. Unworthiness rolled over him. My lips, he could have picked the members of his body, could have said his mouth, his hands, his feet, but he picked his lips because he's hearing singing. He's hearing seraphim, and what comes out of their mouth isn't what's been coming out of Isaiah's mouth. Don't know what Isaiah been doing, but he said, at the mouth, I'm convinced I'm unclean. At the mouth. He says, by, the, by that, not only is that bad of me, but everybody I run with is unclean. <laughs> I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He must have grown up in my neighborhood. You couldn't cuss by the third grade. You weren't keeping up. 
yet get good at it. I was amazed at how I used cuss words in the third grade. I didn't know what they meant, but I had to cuss you back anyway. And everybody around me used them. So it was cool to have a dirty mouth. Well, I don't think the prophet was ever that bad. But he was sensed the unworthiness of his condition. Since he was in a ruined state. How does God respond to this confession? How does God respond? Notice how he responds. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Let's see this picture. I've confessed. I'm ruined. My mouth indicts me. I'm in a ruin. I'm about to be silenced in death. It's over, for I've seen a holy God, and I'm an unholy man. But then the seraphim brings him good news. And here, one of these spirit beings brings over a coal or a rock. The Hebrew word is rock. Brings him a rock from the altar of sacrifice. And he brings it over, touches his lips. Now, some believe they, that the coal burned away the uncleanness. That's not the picture. Not at all. The coal fire did not get rid of the guilt. A sacrifice atoned for his guilt. A sacrifice was applied, brought while the coals were hot, while the animal is being consumed in smoke. Here the seraphim, he, he brings over this coal and he puts it, he said, I got a message for you. Your guilt has been paid for at the altar. You're not ruined. An animal is being ruined and being devoured, but you're going to live, Isaiah. I'm not going to kill you. You see, the miracle of all ministry is that God takes dirty people and gives them a ministry because of Calvary. Calvary is what got you in the ministry. Only Calvary could clean you up to make you fit to represent God. Otherwise, he'd have to kill you. But instead of having to kill you, he let his son be killed. And what the Spirit is like, these spirit beings, is like the Holy Spirit one day, he took a coal, and that coal for us was a message, the gospel, and he came over here and he applied it to your ears. Hear ye, hear ye, your sins have been paid for, your sins have been atoned for. I can even use a wretch like you. This uh, passage is so uh, meaningful to me. I was at a, a, a youth camp of a bunch of Pentecostal young people in 1959 at Alliance Redwoods up by Sebastopol. I was there. There was a preacher from Texarkana, 
Arkansas, Luther Maddox, and there was a woman, evangelist, great with young people, Trella Hatton, about a little 90-pound tornado, and uh, great with kids. Man, she was an incredible speaker. And uh, we going all week, uh, I went up to that camp with Jim Snyder, Billy Mitchell, Jimmy Smith. I, we lived in tents that week. They went, I think, to date girls. I went. I'd just been saved a year. I go there. Thursday night, uh, Trello speaks on Isaiah 6. I never heard Isaiah in my life. Uh, I never wept more in any one week of my life as I did at that camp. I couldn't explain why, but at every meeting I wept. I'm only a 15-year-old. 15 15-year-old 15 boys don't weep unless they're bipolar or about to have a breakdown. And I mean that respectfully. I mean, unless there's some kind of mental, but I, I wept, wept. I never wept more in my life. That one week, I, I was just, uh, just clay. I can't explain it. I, it was a divine week in my life. And uh, I had God dealing with me, and on Thursday night, this passage was spoken on. And I remember saying, um, if you can use me, you can have me. But I can't imagine you preaching good news through me because I'm better at cussing than I am at sharing good news. I don't know anything about gospel. I don't know anything about evangelizing. I don't know anything about trying to reach my buddies. And uh, you're dealing with one of the worst sinners here. But I'm available. You'll have to do the rest. And I think, uh, see, when you hear men write hymns and songs, that when you come in contact with God, uh, there is a sense of unworthiness, undoneness, you know a man has met God when he quits being impressed with himself. You know somebody's running around with God when they quit talking about themselves. Have you ever met anything greater than you? You poor thing. Look around. I've just been seeing some uh, tapes on Bill Gates. You know, when Bill Gates was 15, they hired him at a water company to set up their computer system at 15 years of age. Kind of a whiz, I'd say. When you're worth $40 billion at age 35, you're doing pretty good. But, you know, I think of men like John Newton, how God called him. He wrote a hymn book called Only Hymns. Great hymns, and out of that he wrote Amazing Grace, which the original, I think, has eight stanzas. But I remember as people come along, uh, several, uh, we used to sing a last, and did my Savior die, and, and did my sovereign bleed, and died he for a worm such as I. And as people come along, say, we got to clean up these words. Worm. You can't use that of people. Yeah, you can. Jesus said that's what he was on the cross. Psalms 22, 6, I am a worm and no man. Well, it's kind of offensive. Well, get over it. You're offensive. Apart from Christ. What you are in Christ's sight 
is an offensive bundle of sin until, though made in his image, we so marred it and so run from him to other gods, other sins, other priorities, whatever. Well, God doesn't find us in top shape. And here Newton, he writes, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a nice person like me. I once was a little bad, but now I'm great, and God's lucky to get me. <laughs> no, no, he said, that saved. Uh, wait, wait a wretch. But you don't know anything about John Newton, do you? John Newton, by the time he was 14, was in the King's Navy. He was such a bad sailor, so vile, such a brawler, such a bad influence, that he was traded from ship to ship in the King's Navy. It, from 14. By the time he's about 17, he was finally made captain of a slaving vessel that went to uh, West Africa, sailed to the Caribbean. And he would pick the African women as they went on the ship to decide which ones he would rape on the journey. And he did so. There was no law but the captain. He was a drunk. He was a reprobate. He was a wretch. Amazing grace that would save a wretch like me. I think that's how Isaiah felt. I'm ruined. I don't have a chance. If I get out of this place alive, it'd be a miracle. And God said, I've got a cure for wretches. I will curse him that he may declare you right. Impossible. God said, no, with man it is, but not with me. I'm going to put all the rapes, all the drunkenness, all the murders, all the vileness and wretchedness of a human heart on the cross in Jesus so that Jesus can give you the gift of righteousness. This is what it means for God to save you. But he didn't just save you so you'd be saved. Listen to God's request of the man that he's just cleansed. Listen to what he says. Think of it this way. Confession, cleansing, now commissioning. And watch what he says. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? This is deity talking. Imagine God saying, I've got a message I want to get to Israel, but none of the Trinity are willing to preach it. I don't have any angels up here. Did you know what? Michael can't sing around the throne like you will someday. He cannot sing the song of the redeemed. God only uses sinners to reach sinners. He doesn't use angels. They cannot preach the gospel. We get to preach it. You get to preach it. Now watch what he says. Who will go for us? Isaiah said, well... I told you I was ruined. You just said my sins have been paid for. If you feel that way, God, here am I. Send me. 
And I said, go and say to this people, severe, severe message. I think that uh, the big issue in our life is uh, God is still saying, whom can I get among you to do my work? Did you know God doesn't plant churches unless he uses people? God doesn't teach third grade boys classes. I said, God doesn't teach them. Peninsula Bible Church used to put a sign up. This class will not continue till God burdens someone to teach. And they'd close the classes. They'd offer no classes without a teacher. What would get done in this church depending on you? If every member of this church was just like me, what kind of church would this be? Some of you think God's called you to warm a pew. No, no, that's, this is ought to be a fueling station. He wants you to go somewhere with it this week, sitting on pews. There's no reward in heaven. I will bless you because you showed up. This ought to be feasting time. Boy, I sense a great silence. <laughs> and there was silence in heaven for 30 minutes. That's all right, because some of you think this is your Christian service. This isn't your Christian service. This is your Christian feast. I meet with other redeemed people. I hear the message of God. I have my spirit. The A's can't do this for you. Giants can't do it either. Nobody else can do it. Only being in the presence of the living God can do it. And your front room isn't the church. Watch Jimmy Swaggart all you want. You meet with his people. But then, have you ever heard, see, what happened to a 15-year-old boy way back there was uh, I heard God saying, I want to do something through you. I left that camp. I was going in the ninth grade at Helms. I made a covenant to pray three hours a day. 6.30 every morning, I met at a church off of Broadway Street. Didn't even go to it. Then I went there after school every day. Every day for four years till I got out of high school. Laid the foundation of my heart and my life, right? No prayer meetings, nobody there. The women would come in for their quilting classes early. Bunch of old Pentecostal women with their hair up and buns and everything. And here I would be praying. Sometimes I'd fall asleep at the altar. That's when I learned to walk and pray to stay awake because I heard him say I want to reach your friends through you I want you to speak at youth groups I didn't know what the outline was you see hear me hear me all God's waiting for you to say is I'm available he'll provide the ability he didn't give me any ability at 15 my lands uh uh, all I had in those days was a crudence concordance, a light of the world Bible that my old grandma Howard gave me, and a Matthew Henry commentary that my dad owned. I didn't know about not doing sermons. I didn't know any. I didn't think he was going to pastor. I didn't think he was going to preach. I just said, you got me. I don't know what you want to do with me, but you got me. I'm available. 
And it sounds kind of like Paul, what he said in Romans 6. He said, as you've yielded your body to sin unto unrighteousness, why don't you take that same body and yield it to God for righteousness? I beg of you, brethren, I beg of you, because of the mercies of God, wouldn't it be reasonable for you to give him your body? Wouldn't it be? Doesn't mercy deserve a sacrifice? The mercies of God at the cross deserve your body. What? Have you ever given it to him? As an act of sacrifice, a living sacrifice. He doesn't want bulls and goats, and he doesn't even want your offering. He wants you. He wants you. 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 Does he have you? See, the issue isn't do you have God? Does God have you? Oh, I received Christ. I believe it. Why aren't you letting Christ use you? I, I, as I understand it, he paid as much for you as he did for me. Why is it some can pour themselves in a foreign field or into this ministry or this? It's like in our Awana ministry. I, I noticed because uh, my wife works over there uh, that many of the workers are 60s and 70 years of age and Marion did it up into her 90s. Where are you? Why don't you, it's your kids are taken care of. When are you going to be available? We don't need critics. The devil does a pretty good job. We need laborers. Where are the laborers? But you, you see, if you just do, oh, you got me guilty enough to serve. No, it won't last. Guilt won't last. I love, I love what Exodus 21 said. By the time the year Jubilee rolled around, our Sabbath year, the master says, you may now go. You've been with me for six years. The debt is paid for. All is clear and well. We bid you, God, farewell. And the man said, wait, 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 wait. Because according to the Levitical law, I cannot take the children I fathered. I don't get to take the wife. I don't get to take a, uh, you mean I just go? Yeah. He said, no, no, master, something's happened. What's happened? I've fallen in love with you and you're kind. I've never been treated so good in all my life. Could I stay on permanently? He said, well, if you do that, we'll have to go before the elders. Yeah, what do we do? We're going to take and we're going to pierce your ear. Boom. Boom. Get your ear pierced. We're going to put an awl in there. That from now on, they'll say, there's a love slave. He'll never run away. He's fallen in love with his master. I wish there were some people in here that love Jesus enough to never run away. You know, we talk about this, the 13th. People ask Carol and I, what are you going to do after the 13th? Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. He owns us lock, stock, and barrel. We are never taking our life off the altar of sacrifice. We will serve him until we take our last breath. His valley doesn't own us. Jesus does. We serve wherever he wants. We're going to be available to do his will. 
You have been a great part. And we're not getting rid of you as friends. You owe me a lot of dinners. You owe me. You owe me. Wash my car. Do something. Don't just say we love you. I've been waiting for you to give me an off. No, not really. No, you're still family. I never will leave that. I don't have one pastor as Alzheimer's was taking his memory and he was full of scripture called a board meeting and he said I want you to know I know I'm losing my memory I want to make a motion and get it voted on while I'm still of sane mind please let me be a janitor in the church when I can no longer preach for I signed up for a magnificent savior I didn't sign up for position because when I said yes anywhere you send I'll go we grew up with songs you don't sing anymore it's in our blue book it goes this way Jesus use me please Lord don't refuse me surely there's a work that I can do even though it's humble make my will to crumble Though the cost be great, I'll work for you. Jesus, use me. Please don't refuse me. Then we would sing a song. I can never get through it for three years without weeping. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, over mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll go where you want me to go. Could you sing that? Could you sing that? Yeah. Would you go anywhere God told you to go? Would you do anything God told you to do? Not the church. Not me. Have you ever seen him high enough? Have you ever just seen him on a cross? Maybe that's the highest throne you've ever seen. But he did turn a tree into a cross and into a throne by which he could say to a dying man, I'll meet you in paradise. I'm in charge of everybody that goes to heaven. He is who we serve. I ask you, who will go for God? <laughs> who will serve him? And I would say with Spurgeon after he pastored Metropolitan Church for 37 years and gout was taking his health. He'd put on weight. He's about 350 pounds. They say he just laid over the uh, pulpit. He was so big and his feet were so miserable. His last sermon, he said, if I could but do it again, I would sign up under the banner of Jesus. For I have found being in his loyal service has been the joy of my heart. He said, he's always taken the windward side of the cliff. He has always borne the wind in front of me. He has always borne the heat to shade me. He has always fed me. He has been my greatest joy. Oh, that I could sign up again and again under his banner. For his service is joy. His service is wonder. I tell you, if you say yes to this God, he is a benevolent master. And he will use you. 
He will have made, most of you young people, you don't even know why you're alive. If I ask a young person, if I met him at Starbucks, what's your purpose in life? I don't know. Why are you living? I don't know. I want a boyfriend. I want a job. I want, what a purpose. By the time you get all, you still say, what am I living for? Because they can't fill the void. You know what you ought to say is, I was made to serve the potter who made me. I was made for the Redeemer who bought me. I was made by the Creator who gave me every bit of intelligence and physical ability I have. Why don't you give it back to Him? He won't hurt you. He will use you. And someday, someday, you'll get to see. See, when I step away from this church, what I want to say on the 13th is, you will be my joy and crown in the day I stand in his presence. I pour my life into this people, this place. I've not lived in vain because you're here. Because God's done something for you. And it all started at an altar at 15. Jesus used me. Please, Lord, don't refuse me. Have you ever said yes? Have you ever simply said, Lord, here I am. I'm available. I'm available. Have you ever done that? Why don't you do it today? Bow your head. I want to pray for you. Father, would you speak loud enough for a willing heart to hear? We've got young people. We've got middle age. We've got older saints. It doesn't matter the age. When, when did you ever say, here's my body. I lay it as a sacrifice at your feet. Jesus, use me. Please, Lord, don't refuse me. Is there anyone? I would just raise your hand. You say, I've never done it before, but I, I do it today. I'm offering myself to God. Use me any way you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bless your heart, hon. Yeah. Yes, God will take you up on it. He'll make the difference. Yeah. He wants to take you. Are you available to God, no matter who you are today? How many saints are truly available for God to do with them whatever he wants? Just raise your hand. If you're not available, who knows what God may have to do in your life to change that and make you a willing servant of the King. We're going to sing a song while the ushers distribute the elements. And before we sing hallelujah to the Lamb, we'll form a circle and conclude that way, singing. As though we're around the throne, we're not just singing to each other's face. Did you know communion is projecting your mind to Calvary, to Bethlehem, and to the throne? Can you do that? Can you remember? I remember your body. I remember your sacrifice. And I remember 
that I will sing around the throne. Please come.